Welcome back to the grind. Uh, it's been a while. Jordan did some. We haven't done some in a couple weeks, but we wanted to do a year end one and just a little clips from some of our favorites. Um, for those that don't know, Mark Baldwin uh, produces the show, uh, and he thought of the idea of just doing little clips from some of our favorite shows. We'll have the links below. So if you want to go back and listen to the full episode and you missed it, you can check that out. Before we get into it and what's on the show, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Golf Tech. Been super great to me. Um, they have been supportive of the grind. Uh, and if you're, I say this every time I do this ad, if you're going to spend money in golf, start with lessons and then work to the new club. So golftech.com, go get some lessons. They have been a great supporter of what I have done and what Fire Pit's done. So thanks to them. In this episode, we do a little clip from Mark and I's uh, week at Pebble, which was the best week I've ever spent in golf. Um, we do we talk with the South Florida PGA section, and we talk about uh, the 16-for-1 playoff at the Honda that happened last year. Um, talk to Patrick Flavin, who has changed his career based on some Mondays. Uh, JJ Colleen, who's one of the best follows on Twitter and also super funny. Ben Griffin, who has gone from working a desk job to a PGA tour and playing great, uh, in less than uh, just over a year. Um, uh, Danielle Icabelli, one of my favorites, uh, Robert Garrigus, one of the most outspoken, uh, podcasts you'll ever listen to. And then, uh, we cover the Matt Moreau story. And, um, for those that have missed that, uh, check that out about a cheating scandal at uh, Q school. So, um, little clips throughout, Thank you for all the support this year. Um, look forward to what is coming, uh, not only on this podcast, but our shows and at Fire Pit. Super excited. So happy new year. Hope everybody's holiday is great. We will see you on the other side. Today's episode has JJ Colleen, and I'll basically just like the, let the podcast speak for itself. Professional golf is probably the worst job you could pick to do part-time in the world. <laughs> like it is, yeah. it's yeah. no freaking joke. It's no joke. So I practiced, tried to play and you know, what's insane. Like I'm always pretty good chipper and putter and I don't even practice it. It's just like, I don't know. I've just been lucky enough to always be good at it. So all I did was practice ball striking. I'm like, Jesus, I'm going to kill people if I don't hit it straight out here. Cause I haven't played a tournament and I'll hit it better than I did when I played on the PGA tour full-time. No joke. Yeah. And I shot like two over and I was like, <laughs> if I hit the green f from the fringe on a chip, I was like fist pumping. And my dad, my dad caddied for me for like 15 holes. And he had to go to the airport. He's like, fuck this. I'm out. And my brother, I had like four caddies in two days, but it was so, it, he was I mean, like, he was like, this is, he goes, he goes, this is the worst shit I've ever seen in my life. I was like, this is what not practicing shit full-time looks like dad like i was so grinding into my net and i was like oh i bet that shot looked good in the net and i was like yeah it looked good i was freaking hitting it better than i ever had but so many two putts from six feet so many chips that barely got on the green from the fringe like it was the toughest of freaking scenes bro so what's what what's now to the to the byron look like are we grinding? Are we? The, I have is to gonna be the I'm realistic. So, yeah. so my buddy Brad Ralston that started Red Feather is going to caddy for me, and okay. he's 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 caddied before. He caddied for. We have a buddy David Bowen that he caddied for yeah. 
a few years back that lost in the semis of the U.S. Mid-Am. So like, you know, legit caddy and like they made a a run this thing, like we're almost the masters. So he knows what's up and he played sports and things like that. And yeah, he's going to be pissed if I suck ass. So at some point, at some point, which is probably... I'm going to take tomorrow night. I'm going to be, I'm going to be hung over from drinking just this bullshit that you sent me tomorrow. So tomorrow's a total chocolate up for a loss. Yeah. Yeah. Like tomorrow's like some, yeah. Tomorrow's a disaster. It's like a full rain out tour situation. Um, but, but I mean, you got two weeks. I got to get down. I I got to put dude. The good news is some 40 years old. And I know that's shocking to a lot of people. Yeah, And I get on track, like whatever, like I just have, we have all this stuff. Cause I had a shop at four golf and I was running golf entertainment stuff. And dude, my club had speed when I was down there, when I was swinging hard, I was swinging at like 126 miles an hour, 187 ball speed as hard as I could. So yeah. I hit it as far as I ever could normal one, like 121. So I was like, that's encouraging. That's awesome. Well, when you're barely chipping it on the green from the fringe, and missing two putting every single Clubs, footer you look at. Like, doesn't mean oh, that much. Yeah, kiss your ass goodbye. Like, see you later. Adios. Yeah. Nice drive. Yeah. Nice drive. Nice five. That's what our boy Willie, you know, Willie Wilcox pod, you know, nice drive, nice five, like literally. So, I mean, I, I was just, it, it, it's a magical, demoralizing adventure when you do that. So, I'm going to just make sure my short game is nails. And, you know, the Texas Tech, practice facility the short game area is just reserved for the team and i permanently invited myself with no authority mm. from anyone else Smart. coach if you're listening yep. to just show up and practice there because i got that's the only short game place in town i gotta be able to practice some short game usually it's like i never practice because when you play every week you can like a bunker shot i haven't thought of about a bunker shot since i was a kid and i was my bunker shots mm-hmm. were nails it's fine but when you get a couple of bad chips you're like how was my technique on that chip? And I was like, holy shit, who thinks about chipping technique? Total, total assholes that miss. Yeah. Old guys, total assholes that suck at golf. Who thinks about their stroke on a six footer? Like, Oh my God, this is a disaster. So I've got to mentally like pull in my full Connor Murphy here for the next couple May 12th, dude, peg at May 12th. I was hoping in the PGA the next week, but if I win the Nelson, I'm still in the PGA. And if I somehow win the Nelson, I won't show my face again until Augusta and I'll be ready for that. Welcome back to the grind. Uh, joined by, uh, I just read his LinkedIn page before I got on. So uh, I would, is a mortgage loan officer according to his LinkedIn page, but he's about uh, a couple hundred points away from locking up his PGA Tour card. Ben Griffin, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Happy to happy to be be on the pod. The uh, I think it's time to change your LinkedIn page. Let's just start with that. Yeah, um, you know that's another question that people have asked me. Where um, they were like, "Did you plan on just taking a break? Like, what was that? Like, no, I hated golf. Like, I wanted nothing to do with golf. I was." The only reason I would ever use golf is just to kind of bring in business and play golf with the realtors or whatever it might be. But yeah, I was, I was done. My head was in a, you know, a bad space with golf. Um, you know, it was always a sport I loved and loved competing, but when you play the play professional golf, it's so much different. Um, it's hard to kind of still appreciate that love while also playing for your livelihood. And for a lot of golfers and especially golfers that you've dealt with, um, um, through your platform, 
you know, there's a lot of triumphs and, um, or excuse me, a lot of trials, um, kind of along the way of trying to make it to the top. And so, um, especially financially, and I just wasn't in a position where I could afford to live the life I wanted to live, you know, a little bit off the golf course while still doing, you know, what I loved on the course and making it my profession. And it's extremely hard, even at the corn Ferry tour level to, to be able to do that. You got to really grind and want to make it to the PGA tour and have that mindset to, to be able to make it and, you know, a ton of belief. And so I just didn't have that belief a year ago. I, um, you know, I didn't see myself playing professional golf really, you know, it was a really cool, you know, those first couple of years to actually say I was a professional golfer and I thought it was a cool thing. And, you know, I wanted to live the lavish lifestyle that's associated with it, at least, uh, you know, that's publicly, you know, associated with the term professional golfer. And um, a lot of people don't realize just how much money it really costs and how much time and effort and, you know, being in the right headspace is so key. And so, when I was eight months ago, I mean, I was, I was in the dumps. Like I I was ready to kind of get settled, not have to worry about travel expenses. And it's, it's not like I was ever really sweating. Like there's a lot of stories about guys that are like down their last thousand. Like, you know, I had credit card debt, but I was never like worried about it. Maybe it's because I, you know, I have a little bit better of a situation maybe with my family. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I never wanted to use, my parents as a source of, you know, income for me. And so I just, uh, it was one of those things I needed to do stuff on my own. I, I didn't want to be taking from anyone. I didn't want to, I didn't want any fake endorsement deals or anything like that where, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to make my money and do, do the things I loved. And, you know, golf wasn't allowing me to do that about eight months ago. A guy who um, has helped me a ton in the last six months and who's a really close friend to me, Mike Swan, He's uh, based out of Highland Springs Country Club, which is where the price cutter is in Missouri. There's, I have all these ties in Missouri. It's the most bizarre thing, but <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Um, but he was like, I've got my member guest. I would love to have you as a guest um, come out and play since you're not a professional golfer anymore. I was like, well, technically through the USGA rules, I'm still right, a professional right. golfer. I'm not like trying to get amateur status back. But he's like, no, I talked to that pro. He said, it's totally cool. He knows you're not like playing golf anymore. It's like, all right, perfect. So I went out there, kind of same deal. I just kind of had fun. We were drinking, having a good time, like doing what I'm, what a doing exactly what a member guest is like a typical member guest, right? Yeah, just doing ridiculous stuff with other guys and having a good time. But meanwhile, I'm doing all that stuff and I'm playing really, really good golf. Like I went from US Open sectionals grinding, making a lot of putts to now all of a sudden I'm like hitting it really good. And I'm like, what's going on? Like I, I haven't touched a club. Um, and so we finish up the member guests and I go back to work and then eventually you know mike along with a couple other members that that course are like all right we we're getting your flight you're coming out here and you're doing the monday qualifier we're paying for all this stuff because we don't want you to think about that we know your pay stubs not high enough to (laughs) pay for all of your travel right now um so i was like well i don't know if i can get off work again like i've taken a few days off of work because of golf and they're probably like wow he's going back to golf i'm like literally no i like golf's the last thing i want to do right now but after that member guest, I'm like, all right, I'm thinking again, like, huh, maybe, you know, my golf game is way better than I think it is. I have the talent of the Morikawa's, Shufflers and stuff like that. Maybe I should go play golf again. And I was like, eh, let's just hang away for a little bit. And then, like, leading up to that Monday qualifier, a lot of things happen. I accidentally drive to the golf course, wear my work clothes. I, my grandpa passed away, who got me into golf. And then 
these guys out in Missouri are paying for me to play on a Monday qualifier. I'm like, what's going on? Like, why are all these things happening to me? And sure enough, um, you know, my grandpa had passed away, I think on that Friday or Saturday and I played on the, in the Monday with him kind of looking above and I was two under through 10 or 11, wasn't looking good. And my, um, one of my supporters out there, Jesse Ahern was following along and he was like, dude, are you going to like start making Eagles or like, well, what's the deal? Like, you know, you can't get through a Monday qualifier at two under. And I was like, you're right. So I kind of like took a deep breath and like kind of thought about all the things that were happening in my life. And I went ahead and like birdied three or four in a row um, or I went birdie, birdie Eagle or something like that. And all of a sudden I'm six under and I'm going to make the Monday qualifier. And I grind through the last couple. I'm, I think I birdied 17 and part 18. And um, sure enough, I'm playing the Corn Ferry event and I'm not ready to be playing in a four day event, but I'm like, all right, I'm just going to have fun this week. Have fun with the members. It was actually really cool. It's built a, that, that week's allowed me to build a lot of relationships with a lot of people out there that have helped kind of support me in my career and are opening doors to endorsement deals. Robert Garrigus, one of the most outspoken uh, podcasts you'll ever listen to. Of all people's name to get leaked, I mean, yours came out as the first one. I mean, like kind of, yeah. what was that, that was like, Robert? Number. What'd you say? Yeah, that was that was something else. I said that was a that was a fucking laugher. Like I, <laughs> I couldn't believe that that actually happened. Um, because there is no good thing that was gonna come out of it for anybody. Um, I had no idea it happened until my agent sent me the um article when I was driving to New Orleans after I tried to Monday qualify for Mexico, which I didn't end up having to do really because I got in the tournament, but I was driving to New Orleans and I just, my agent sent me a, a link to an article by um, some reporter with the last name Lynch. I don't know. It's, yeah, Iman Lynch, were, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Um, he sent me this. He's like, Did you tell anybody that we asked? I was like, Dude, I told you that was it. So it was kind of interesting how that all came about because I got a sponsor invite that week to play in New Orleans and I thought that was kind of, shitty timing for the whole situation. Um, And I'm not even a top player. Like, I don't even know what the benefit of that was for my name to come out, but whatever, however it did, whatever, I don't give a fuck anymore. It's just kind of one of those things that it was silly. Yeah. I fell on the sword and I didn't even mean to, um, but you know, that actually gave Greg Norman an incentive to, you know, put me in the tournament in the first one, at least, and give me a chunk of cash for saying, Hey, thanks for, you know, diving into the pool first. But as soon as I sent the waiver request, you know, I actually had a meeting with Jay that week. One-on-one Robert, just you and Rob and you and Jay. Oh, we've had several. Um, And I don't think he's enjoyed very many of them. Um, Just for the fact that I will speak my mind and, I talk to Jay like he's a cook at Chili's. Like I will give him the business if I don't like what I'm seeing. And it's one of those things that I can voice my opinion to Jay because he works for me. Regardless of what anybody thinks, sometimes everybody's like, oh, I don't want to say this or I don't want to say that. You can speak your mind to the commissioner of the, the tour that you're playing on because he works for you. And I voiced my opinion. I was like, listen, 
this isn't about the money. I was like, if you give me spots to play in PGA Tour events, I'll tee it up. But right now, I'm not playing much golf. And if you really don't think that I'm going to be playing a lot of tournaments, then what does it matter if I go play in another tour? I, it, I didn't get it at the time. Now I'm, I kind of get it. What's going on? Because <laughs> the live tour is trying to cut the fucking legs out from underneath the PGA tour and, and make sure, you know, trying to make sure that we're, we don't exist. And that's, that's getting to a, a, a boiling point here and it's going to be, it's going to keep going. Um, but yeah, my interaction with Jay was, you know, just, you know, ex- explaining everything that I felt and everything that I was going through. And um, he wasn't mad. He just said, you know, we want you on the PGA tour. I was like, well then give me sponsor exemptions. Like if you want me to play, give me some. With all that being said, getting, getting to play on the PGA tour is a privilege. Getting to play and live is a privilege. Getting to play in the DP world tour is a privilege. Anything you get to do as a professional golfer and make money at it. You're pretty fucking lucky regardless of what level. Danielle Icabelli, one of my favorites. Probably my favorite moment on the podcast that I've done. I think I've done, I don't know, 60 or 70, is the moment where you got invited to what's her name's uh, charity event? Uh, Lori King? Oh, <laughs> oh, my God. It was the- such a great time. Honest oh. to God. It was such oh. a great trip. It was like a three-banger trip, three days. Yeah. Like drunk for at least twenty four hours of it, and when I tell you, like fish out of water, like I did not belong. I mean, I don't belong in most situations, yeah. but that one. When we went out to dinner, there had to be at least twenty of us at this dinner in downtown Manhattan, and I yeah. I distinctly remember where I was sitting, and I was like, "You're ordering water because it's probably like six dollars for a diet coke." Right. And I'm looking at the menu and I'm like, dude. This is not where I need to be. Like, there are so many zeros. There are so many zeros. Um, And I ordered, ordered I think, a water, maybe a Diet Coke. I don't know. And the cheapest thing on the menu. And thankfully, I think Christy Kerr did pick up the tab because I was like, I I can't even afford, like, a side Caesar salad here. (laughs) Dude, she was one of the coolest people ever. I thoroughly enjoy her i uh, i wanted so like right at this moment danielle i wish i will like so wanted to get christy kerr on and be like boom and now christy kerr and like have her come on and give her recollection of that dinner and you singing the song at the charity event i mean i would be curious if she remembers it oh she remembers it danielle (laughs) Oh, oh, 100%. If I have a thousand stories, Christy Kerr probably has 10,000 stories. Not like this. Go ahead. Tell the story quick. If no one's listening, come on. You're at this charity event. We were at this charity event. We went to Walmart and got, I mean, just tell the whole thing. Just quick. It's so good. People who have listened. It it made the year in top 10 on on last year's podcast. I think I got to rip a heater for it. But we get to, and it's a fancy dinner, right? It's at it's at Liberty, 
just in just outside of uh, Liberty National, right? Just outside of Manhattan. And we sit down and I'm in, I think the picture I saw him in like slacks and like a pink button up and everybody's drinking like just really like, like good palate drinks. You know what I mean? Like guys are sipping on Johnny Walker. Women are drinking wine. I'm sure somebody's got some champagne. They're just things that I don't know about. Right. And I run up to the bar and I'm like, is it open? And he's like, yeah. I was like, cool. Double captain and diet and keep them flowing. Hold the fruit. (laughs) And dinner was this immaculate, like just perfectly cooked everything like Gordon Ramsay. And, and there's a, there's a pianist playing music that goes with each course and there's different wines for each course. And I mean, the highlight of my week is when I get to go to like in and out, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, eating eight ounce fillets with like perfectly Parmesan crusted, whatever, you know, no. And at one point I walked up to the lady playing the piano who's in a gown, by the way, like (laughs) Grammy's gown. She's supposed to be taking requests. (laughs) I mean, if anyone's going to do it, it's me. The worst she could have said was no. And I was like, do you take requests? Yeah, she's like, like, I think she was probably assuming that I'd go like elevator hits like 2005. Like, like Beethoven. Beethoven. I asked for Journey yeah. Don't Stop Believing and somehow got a hold of the mic and me, Christy Kerr. Were you drunk at that point or no? I don't think so. I think that happened like after that. I think like it broke the whole crowd with the, the, the ice with the crowd. Like, yeah. I think like everyone was like perfect posture and like perfect no one had elbows on the table it was right. just i felt like the chicken princess the princess bride or yeah. diaries or whatever it is yeah 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 and somehow i end up with a mic and some other guy was on stage with me and christy kerr and we were belting out journey but, but the whole place was like nobody was not singing it I'm, how can you think how can you wonder that christy kerr didn't doesn't remember that I mean, I am so mad at myself that I did not reach out to Christy Kerr right now and bring her on at this moment. I mean, she's probably be, like, if she's heard the podcast yet, she's probably like, Jesus Christ, Daniela. Like, <laughs> I would love to hear her version of the story. I mean, I would give anything to hear her side of that exact story. I would love I- it. I have to do it. We do. We talk with the South Florida PGA section, and we talk about uh, the sixteen for one playoff at the Honda that happened last year. All right, let's talk about specifically about last Monday. So, as the, as these scores are coming in, I mean, did you realize it was going to be? I mean, it was kind of setting up to be a huge playoff. Is is there is there any challenge in having a huge playoff, like from your perspective? I don't know that it's a challenge. Um, it was it was unique. I I think that you know we started comparing war stories as it became more evident as to how many players we may have, and I think Jeff may have one situation that was more than sixteen, but sixteen is by far the most that I've dealt with in one playoff. Um, I mean, kind of like you were saying. I mean, it, I think you get excited when there's these big sixteen for one playoffs. If anything, it's you know it just makes it a little bit more exciting that so many guys have a chance. Jeff, just touch on on the nineteen for one that 
that you had do you remember were you there yeah it actually uh the, the reason I'll never I'll, I'll probably never forget this number one it's so odd to have that many players number two uh, our daughter was born that day uh, oh. it was uh, nine, 19 for one for the Mikasuki championship in uh, October of 2004 um, we were playing at a, a place called Palmer uh, Country Club and uh, and and similar situation uh, it went one hole um, at that particular one but uh, it same thing, you know, kind of throughout the course of the day, you're kind of looking at the scores and, and how it's shaping up. And, and, and we've all been involved with this so long. It, it seems like there's always that, that great score that comes in in the last group, you know, and everybody's all depressed, uh, whenever you see that happen, but it just, you, you were kind of waiting for that to happen. It never really happened. So, uh, the list just kept getting bigger and bigger. Hey, Ryan, one thing, uh, I, I Brett, why don't you touch on, because this, this was an interesting, uh, interesting point of discussion that we had uh, in, in this particular scenario. And, and Brett did a little uh, research and, and talked with the tour to get their opinion on this uh, from the standpoint of uh, knowledge of um, I, I, I'm sure probably everybody, when they saw everybody walking back and this being a par five, they knew that it was probably an Eagle, but um, despite that, Brett, Brett, why don't you talk through what, how you went about figuring out whether you would provide knowledge uh, to the players of scores that had happened. Yeah, so I mean, it's just something we're we're thinking about as Monday winded down towards the end of the day. But I mean, and I'm actually shocked that this didn't happen. But um, you know, with 16 players, you would think that you know we 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 paired them based on who posted first, which is the same way that the PGA Tour you know does the pairings in their in their playoffs on tour. But um, you know, we figured that somebody would ask you know what was made up there and whether or not we felt it would be right to give an answer to that question. Um, but we, you know, I asked Andrew Miller, who was our advance official at the, at the Honda classic this year. And, um, he talked it over with a couple on their staff and ultimately somebody with the USGA. And, um, you know, they did say that if somebody asks that, you know, you should tell them if you know, because, you know, it's, oh, that's, a, that's really yeah, cool. that it's, um, yeah. you know, kind of public knowledge, which, you know, you're allowed to know public knowledge under the rules of golf, but, um, you know, they felt that ultimately they're all, it's basically the same as playing all in one group that, um, you know, they had the right to know if they asked, but, um, you know, I started all three groups on Tuesday morning and was waiting for the question. And I mean, at, at one point I knew there was an Eagle, but, um, nobody ever brought it up. So maybe they just knew because, yeah. because everybody started walking back, but still was surprised. That's super, that's super interesting that you guys brought that up. Cause only one player asked out loud. I don't know if you were up there, Brett, but DJ Trahan asked, he had a chip on the last hole. And, and just like asked out loud to the people watching was like, has anyone made a three? But it's just so weird that like, I, I would be the first question I asked in my, I mean, like you have a bunker shot and I don't know how you don't ask whether you need to make it or not. You know, I don't know. It just seems like knowledge, but DJ was the only one who asked out loud. At least he had a little chip, a, a relatively makeable chip and was deciding how to play it. And, you know, was the only player that asked out loud if a three had been made already. Yeah. I was surprised. I'd, I'd want to know. Yeah. I mean, uh, Justin played out, Justin Doden played out of the water, but again, like that's exactly what you would do in a, in a playoff knowing at the minimum you have to make four, uh, more than likely have to make three. We talked with Patrick Flavin, who is very close on 
non-member points to getting into the Corn Ferry Finals, but also his dad joined us to give us a perspective from the parents' side about what it's like to watch your son who has a college degree play college golf, knowing or pro golf, knowing it's it's very, very difficult. And kind of what his role is with Patrick and how they navigate things exactly like this. Does he go play Latin America? Does he continue to chase Mondays? All of those things. So um, it was really great insight from from the parent side and, and Patrick's side, obviously, too. But Mark, just great insight into, you know, what his role is in Patrick's life. Um, he caddied for him in all three of his PJ Tour events, but it's just so much more than that. So, so. I, well, again, we're skipping a lot, but you have a, a, a pretty solid rest of 2021, but basically you're so far behind the eight ball points wise, especially in a, in a super season, you finish well down the points list, go to Q school, miss at second stage. I assume it has to be, I mean, it's, it's uh, devastating is too strong of a word, but I mean, you're playing really well, Patrick, and to miss at second stage, I mean, kind of what was that, that week like yeah i don't think devastating is is an overstatement at all like i like that the end of corn the corn fairy season showed me that i could compete at that level and i knew that had i had enough opportunities i would have been in the top 75 of the, the points list to play for my pga tour card so i first day i had to go back to first stage which was a bit of a bummer but i ended up buckling down and i played great and i was sort of on the cut line like it wasn't smooth sailing at all and i played awesome down the stretch and I buried the last hole and made it through. Um, and second stage, I just, I had, I had the utmost confidence that I was going to get through. And, uh, I went and, and it was Southern Hills plantation where we just were for the Valspar Monday. And I, uh, I felt like I played pretty well. I just didn't really put it all together and I ended up missing by six. So it wasn't even really close. So mm-hmm. I was just kind of shot. I was shocked at, not making it. And then also like the implications for the future was just brutal. So it was actually like that, that following Monday was the Bermuda Monday. And, um, I, I was almost not going to play. I mean, I was just kind of down and, um, I ended up getting paired with this, this kid who was, uh, I think he's a junior in college at university of Tampa. And he had gotten through the pre-qualifier and he's not even on the golf team at Tampa. He just loves golf. And I remember just feeling so refreshed by his mindset of just purely being there for the enjoyment of the game. And um, I mean, we just had a really great day and he was such like a, a, just a yeah fresh face and just had so much passion for the game. And it was a good reminder to me of like, why am I doing this? And uh, I ended up getting through that. And obviously I, I went and played great in Bermuda, which was huge, but I mean, even when I got, it kind of just stalled the emotions that I was feeling from not getting through second stage. And uh, yeah, I mean, those Q schools, like they, they weigh on you so much. And after it's over, I mean, you have all these emotions coming out. So um, that was a very devastating experience. And you just kind of have to take those and and roll with them and try to make the best of it. But uh, I think everybody who's played professional golf has something like that. Mark, I mean, obviously, did you caddy that week, Mark, or no? I did not. Okay. So, that was probably the problem. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, every time, every little, you're like three for three on the tour. So, I mean. I, I didn't want to brag about that, Ryan. Yeah, but yeah. yeah we'll the bring numbers it. are the numbers. Yeah, yeah, we'll bring it up. 
I say that to Mark all the time. I was like, I don't know. You missed four in a row before I got on the back. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, is there anything you can say as a parent in that situation? Or is it listen? Is it give advice? Or, I mean, you obviously you and your wife are as, dis, as disappointed. You want your kids to be successful. They're obviously good enough to, to be out there. And there's no, there's not much in the professional world like Q school. It's like you can be good enough and all of a sudden you're out on your ass, you know, chasing mini tours and playing outlaw events and those kind of things. Like, what, was there a phone call? Do you just kind of listen? What, what, what is that? What's that day like after you? After yeah, you it's, I think you just reinforce that you, you know, you love your, your child, that you are really sorry that that has happened because you didn't deserve it, but it, it's, it's, it's part of it. And that it's a long, you got to take the long view in this game, you know, like all the time. If, if you take that short view, it just, just, it's brutal anyway, but it's particularly brutal. Um, and Patrick and as Patrick, you just mentioned, all these guys handle adversity so much better than anyone I've ever experienced in, in my professional career. I've never seen anything like it. Um, that, to be honest with you, I, I, there's not a lot of advice that, that Tracy or I can give because Patrick's handled far more adversity than we ever did in, in our professional careers. And he's already, you know, three or four years into his um, only. So not a lot, you know, there's not a lot to say, um, you know, other than that, I think, and, and um, give a big hug if we're, you know, next, <laughs> we're next together and, um, and just kind of move on to the next thing. Uh, next up is going to be Andy Smith. Andy is a caddy at Bel Air, and he and uh, Matt Moroz have been a caddy player partner before. Uh, Andy told me that they have done a couple uh, U.S. locals. They've done the 2017 Long Beach Open, and then and then Q School this year. We kind of pick up the interview pretty quickly, and uh, we get into the holeout incident at five and then i learn of a video um i talked to andy last uh of all the people i interviewed i had already talked to matt i had talked to uh people at the section they just gave me a statement but um i talked to uh you know everybody involved um multiple interviews so andy was the last person i had talked to and uh he talked about a video he took and that is a huge part of this interview because it's um, it is odd at best that they took an interv- they took a video of a hole out in the middle of Q school. Fifth hole happens first. You guys are on the left hand side, yeah, right, by that, right by the tree. Okay, tree out there in the fairway. Sure. Um, Ken's back left yesterday. I you know I told Maddie I said it's it's probably going to play about one forty to forty five back there. So he hits a shot, and it was, I don't know, 30, 40 feet off the ground. It wasn't his best. It's probably one of the best or worst shots he'd hit, you know, the four days we were out here. I'm watching it get up there. It gets up on the left side. <clears throat> Looks to me that it hits in the rough, like probably front edge of the green. Sure. Like he hit it hard. He hit it hard, but it was just low. Yep. 
so I told him, I said, you know, that, that, that hillside slopes a little right, Matt. I think we got, we're going to get lucky and it's probably going to be center of the green and the rough. Sure. Um, so it's, you know, and we're, we're, we were playing quicker than I guess the guys wanted us to. I can, you know, safely say that because they were back in the fairway. Uh, were you guys warned about that prior to the round from the previous day, Andy? We were not. Okay. No, nobody, nobody had mentioned anything about because we got put on we got put on the clock at day two, and you know Matt was kind of upset about that. Sure. Three putt. Sure. And then two two holes later, we got to seven. There was probably four groups on that hole. So yeah, on five, <clears throat> we, we start walking up the hill, and right right where the cart path kind of crests before the green we're still we're still 30 yards from the green and where have these guys hit yet they we were watching them hit they come walking up we're kind of you know they're 10 15 yards behind us and i'm starting to look on the left side of the green and i don't see anything so i'm trying to figure out where his ball is maybe it's down the rough we just don't see it and by the like they're probably five yards from the green at this point and I watch Matt and he walks up and looks in the hole and looks at me and he goes it's in I got I was like you gotta be kidding me right and you know I'm nowhere near the hole nowhere near you know I'm probably 20 yards away from him at this point and then sure enough you know the ball's in the hole so so both of the players have said like by the time that they got to the green Matt is already like they didn't see him pick the ball out of the hole and and he's already walking towards them. Do you remember that at all? Uh I do. I actually I have a video I took a video of of Matt. Like I, I walked he he looks in the hole and then he starts walking to to me and then I walk over and I see the ball's still in the hole. You know, I got I got a video of that. And then You got a video of it? I do. Did you show it to the rules official? No. Because number number five wasn't really the issue. It, it's that seventh. Hole. Walk, walk me through. Walk me through the fifth hole of why you took of it. So what happened? How did you take the video? Matt asked me. He's like, "Get my phone," because he, he, you know, we were just kind of, we just couldn't believe the balls in the hole. So I okay. I one phone. sec, Andy. I'm I'm not trying. I just want to make sure I have this timeline right for the story. So you okay. walk up. You walk up. Right. Yep. And you can't find the you can't find the ball. <clears throat> well, we're I'm looking where I think it's going to be. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Right. And where's Andy or, or or where's Matt looking at this point? He's he's ahead of me on that left side of the green. You know, we're we're looking for where we think the ball is going to be. Okay. And then he he walks up and looks, and it's in the hole. Well, how did he get to the hole though? I'm saying like you you guys didn't think for a minute that it was in the hole at that point, right? No one did, according to everybody. No. Right. No, I, 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 that was no. I didn't think the ball was going to be in a hole. I walk up. Okay. You know, so where does the video come in? Uh, as far as the timeline. Or yeah, the- yeah. Where, like, when, when do you start recording? I would say probably fifteen seconds after he said it's in a hole. Okay. I don't know, around there, and then- okay. Yeah, I walked up and it was in there, man. That's all. That's, that's all I can tell you. So, so what's the video of? What What do you take? What? Uh, it was just me walking towards the flag, and then he's walking towards me. We kind of high five, and then it's, I'm walking from that hillside down to the to, to the pin, and the ball's in the hole. 
So you video the ball being in the hole? Yeah, I did. I thought he picked it up. Did you say just a minute ago that he picked it out of the hole or no? He just noticed that was in the hole. He noticed it was in the hole. He picked it out of the hole after the video. Probably, you know, 20 seconds after. And where are the players at that time? They're on the front of the green walking up. But the ball, how do you know the ball's in the hole? How do you know to take a video if you took a video of the ball in the hole? He saw it in the hole or what? Yeah, he told me the ball's in the hole. And I was, I honestly, I was surprised because, you know, I expected on that line, it was going to be right there in the rough, maybe center of, in relation to the green on the left side. I figured we'd have a little chip and a putt and get out of there, but, you know, it was in the hole. Do you mind sending that, that video to me? Why we're on the phone or no? I, um, I can send it right now. Hang on. Thanks. So he's he's like looking at it in the hole. Like he sees it's in the hole, but he's like somehow 15 feet or 15 yards away. And then you he asked you to start the video? He wasn't 15 yards. No, he walked up and saw the ball in the hole. Okay. And then where does he go? Uh, he starts walking back towards me. But he didn't pick up the ball? No, he left the ball in the hole. Okay. And then he asked you to what, start a video? Yeah, he's like, bring me my phone. Okay. Um, hold on, I'm trying to type in your number so I can text this to you. Yeah, no problem. What, why did he take a video? I mean, it's Q school. You just wanted to, like, have the moment? I guess so, yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's... Had you guys any ever... Um, ever videoed where, where are the players at this point front of the green i think they were you know probably just on the front of the green okay but they didn't they say that they didn't see you pick the ball out of the hole are they in the video no okay I, the, the video ends with me uh-huh. showing you can see the ball in the hole matt you know matt's telling him the ball's in the hole and then he came back and picked it out i, I never touched the ball okay all right, I'll have to look at the video and see see where that yeah. is. Okay, so yeah, it was just one of those things, man. It's like it was just a kind of a organic moment, and I knew that was kind of a jump start to the round because we kind of we were grinding for pars uh, before that. Yeah, so, yeah, it was. I normally, I don't take my phone out for stuff like that, but at that point, I was that was a huge shot, and I, 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 I you know, we we went from four under to six under there, and I knew we were we were in very good shape to make it through, you know, because I I had us. We had to finish at least one under, probably, and it ended up being plus one. But you know, it was just a big shot. That's why I got my phone out. Um, so that was that. Okay. A little clips from Mark and I's uh, week at Pebble, which was the best week I've ever spent in golf. At the AT and T Pebble Beach Pro Am. What does it feel like to have Aaron Rodgers sending messages unsolicited saying congratulations? It just shows all the work that you've done and put in and how much reach you have and how, many, how much your content is meaning to people and touching people and making a difference for the game of golf. And I think that's what it says to me more so than anything I do. You know, I mean, it's obviously super cool how I played just spectacular golf today. Um, But at the end of the day, I think the people are paying attention 
to the content that you're bringing and you're making the game uh, just a more welcoming, better place. And you just don't know all of the people that are, are paying attention and, and watching you.